0: Love, talk,
1: radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Addiction Treatments That Work. I'm your host, Kenneth Anderson. Tonight, it is February 20th of 2014, and tonight our guest is Pete Soderman. He is a smart recovery facilitator he is also the author of powerless no longer we're going to talk to him in just a second after i do a little ad for our website and our book our website is hamsnetwork.org we are free of charge lay led support group for people who want to make any positive change in their drinking habits from safer drinking to reduced drinking to quitting altogether our book is called how to change your drinking a harm reduction guide to alcohol it's available from amazon for more information go to hamsnetwork.org slash well Our guest, Pete Soderman, is with us right now. How are you doing this evening, Pete?
0: Hi, Ken. Thank you for having me on uh, let, well, thank let, me, let me say something let mm-hmm. me let me just say something right from the beginning i I am a smart facilitator, as you said. I've uh, been involved in starting a couple of meetings, but I do not speak for smart. I want to make that perfectly clear um, mm-hmm. i'm I'm not in the smart hierarchy at all. I'm just another facilitator. So these what we'll be covering tonight are my opinions uh, or the opinions in Powerless no longer. They won't necessarily be smarts.
1: Oh, OK, thanks for that. So tell us a little bit about your personal history. Um, when did you decide to quit drinking? Or, uh, what was involved? What did you do?
0: OK. Um, I started a 26-year drinking career uh, the night before JFK got shot uh, back in 1963. And uh, uh, 26 years later, in uh, uh, August of 1990, uh, pretty much decided that I'd had enough. There were a number of of things that happened, uh, little cues, little little, uh, hints, so on and so forth from other people, uh, uh, and other things happening in my life that that led me to believe that perhaps I was drinking just a little bit too much occasionally. Uh, Actually, I was drinking a whole lot too much uh, all the time. A friend of mine Uh, told me over a three-martini lunch that, uh, you know, he said I had this friend who uh, went to this place called AA. Uh, I'd barely heard of AA. Um, And he drank like a normal person, uh, is what my friend told me. Perhaps you should try that. So that night, I showed up at a meeting, uh, hoping to learn at least learn how to drink like a normal person. But uh, down deep inside, I kind of knew that uh, that I was done drinking. Um, so I, I did the fellowship of AA. You know, I went out after meetings with with a bunch of guys, had coffee, uh, learned how to relate to to real people, which was. Believe it or not, a skill I had to learn, uh, even in my mid forties. Uh, and I didn't work the steps or, or do anything else that was suggested, uh, really, other than uh, take part and uh, uh, benefit from uh, uh, the fellowship and hanging out with uh, with people. Eventually, I drifted away from AA, and. Put together uh, something from here, a little bit from here, a little bit from there. Uh, remember, this was in the '90s. There wasn't a, uh, a whole lot of uh, alternatives uh, to AA, at least not that I knew about uh, in my area. Uh, I got—I started a little meeting with some friends, some like-minded friends, uh, and we met up once a week at somebody's and just talking over how your life's going, and this, that, and the other, and working through some problems. And uh, about seven years ago or so, I uh, hooked up with uh, Mr. Mike Warner, who was one of the co-founders of, of SMART. He moved down to Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, where I was living, and he and I started a SMART meeting in a And uh, Uh, We started a meeting down there that is still going strong. Uh, uh, I talked to Mike uh, uh, every now and then, email. Uh, I moved to Ajijit, Mexico. It's uh, uh, a small village about an hour south of uh, Guadalajara uh, in the Major International Airport. We've lived here for about four years. Uh, I started a smart meeting down here about two and a half years ago. That's it's doing fairly well. It, it took me a, a little bit of time to get established down here and and whatnot. Uh, and that's that's pretty much where where we are now.
1: Okay, um, I think it's interesting that you uh, benefited from the fellowship of AA from talking to people. Um, who were not drinking but uh, and I you know I I hear that works for a lot of people you know a lot of people do find that it can be helpful uh, my personal experience was uh, you know I could not get past those steps you know always hearing that I was powerless powerless and alcohol was powerful well, as I tell people when I started attending AA I was abstinent from alcohol when I left I was drinking a liter of whiskey a day so that whole powerless message was not but it was not a good one for me to hear.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's as uh, uh, there's a quote from from Stanton Peele uh, in my book that uh, basically the the doctrine of powerlessness is one of the most dangerous things that uh, uh, that you can teach an addict. Uh, it just is. Uh, I didn't buy it then. Uh, I don't, certainly don't buy it now. Um, but again, I don't. Uh, uh, it's it's my personal policy and Smarts policy. You know, we don't go around knocking AA or bashing AA. I uh, uh, devoted the better part of a chapter in Powerless No Longer to to AA is an institution or an organization, and uh, a little bit about their history, but not a lot, and uh, a little bit about their efficacy just from a standpoint of, of information, uh, because I wanted to be very careful to, to lay out what was available, uh, or what, at least the things I knew about at the time that were available for uh, uh, for recovery, and AA is certainly there. It's, it's the most used. yes. Uh, and it can be uh, uh, it can be useful, and it has been useful and uh, uh, what not to a good number of people. And there's no mm-hmm. there's no denying that. Of course, the fact is that it doesn't work for most people. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, unfortunately, that's that part of it isn't generally known. But at any rate, there's enough of this. Trying to get the word out about that, that uh, uh, it's it's starting to become more and more mainstream. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: Well, you yeah, know, I have uh, any number of friends uh, who work in needle exchange, my colleagues in needle exchange programs, who are members of Narcotics Anonymous. I have uh, no intention to rain on their parade. You know, if that's what works for you, if it's good for you. That's fine. I totally have no argument with you. if you know, but that's not going to be my path, and that's not going to be everybody's path. You
0: no, I I want I want people to get clean and sober. That's the bottom line. Okay, I don't care how they do it. I I, I don't care if um, uh, they go through a ceremony where where people you know lay their hands on their head and zap them sober. If that would work, great. You know, I, I have no quarrel with that. Um, I don't care how how people find, find their own way. Uh, it turns out that uh, if you look at the data, there's um, almost as many paths to successful recovery as there are people who've successfully recovered. Each and every one of us takes a little bit different path. Uh, and I don't care if somebody sticks with AA, they pull in something... Uh, from here and something from there, uh, some of us pull you know stuff from Buddhism, some of us pull stuff from uh, from smart or from rational or from you know goodness knows where it doesn 't matter. You know all this stuff will work for some people, uh, and what I tried to do in powerless was give a paint with a broad enough brush uh, that I'd hit almost all the high spots. At least I tried to do that, Uh, the techniques uh, that are most efficacious for the most people, uh, for people to pick and choose from. Uh, But nowhere in there do I say that, you know, this is the only program, this is the only thing that will work, because that just isn't true. Not for my book, not for smart, not for anything. Uh, uh, Nothing uh, has, has the only path to recovery, I don't care what it is.
1: Well, let's walk through the book a little bit. You have a chapter here about natural recovery. Tell me a little bit about natural recovery.
0: Well, it turns out, if, if you look at the data, if you look at the large studies that have been done uh, over the last 30, 40 years, uh, you find that Upwards of 70%, uh, the most is 75, but uh, let's just say upwards of 70% of all addicts recover on their own or with very minimal help. Okay? That's what the data show. The most efficacious, according to most of the studies, the, uh, the most efficacious modality uh, for recovery is a single visit with a trusted medical person, usually a family, okay? Uh, If you think about it, and when I say this in front of groups of people, I I see uh, some flashes of recognition, but I see a lot of raised eyebrows. Uh, But then think about the number of people you know that have quit smoking, a very uh, pernicious uh, addiction. Uh, one one of the worst because mm-hmm. it infiltrates itself into every areas of, area of our lives. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was am an, an ex-smoker, uh, and most of the most 90% according to the American Cancer Society quit smoking cold turkey on their own mm-hmm. without pills, without patches, without any kind of it, except maybe a stern warning from their doctor. Uh, in my particular case, uh, uh, I'd been sober for, for 10 years, had a heart attack, and uh, uh, my cardiologist looked at me uh, when, when she was releasing me from the hospital and said, you know, if you start smoking again, your chances of dying are four times greater uh, than, than if you don't. Either uh, way, your next heart attack will kill you. <laughs> uh, well, that was enough for me. They don't let you smoke in intensive care, so I did have a week's head start, all right? mm-hmm. uh, but, but still I, I quit by heart attack. And that's what I mean by natural recovery. Now, what I did was go one step further and, all right, how did these people recover? Uh, is you say 70, upwards of 70% of addicts recover? How did they do it? Okay, what tools did they use? What does work? So then you go into the studies and and, and you follow the um uh, uh, follow the path and, and and follow the data and what it leads you to uh are certain modalities uh that seem to be nearly universal uh and there's uh there's four things it turns out that uh uh all of these people who quit on their own pretty much had in common uh the first thing is they had to be motivated and whether that was one visit to a to a family doctor uh or it took them uh, uh 5 years of of DUIs they had to reach the point uh where uh the activity no matter what it is uh, uh, the benefits they were getting from the behavior no longer uh, outweighed the consequences in their mind, right? And that's what? the important part, in their mind. You can look at a, at a person who's uh, in for multiple DUIs uh, and an outsider looking at them knows that, you know, this behavior, alcohol or whatever, is causing a problem in their life. problem is they can't see it, <laughs> Nothing Mm -hmm. works until they see it, okay? Um, They have to reach the point um, uh, where they uh, realize the consequences now outweigh any benefits that they're getting from the behavior. The second thing is... They have to survive long enough to make some serious changes, so they have to know or learn uh, how to control urges, okay? how to deal with mm-hmm. uh, uh, cravings and urges, okay? some of which can be quite strong, um, as we know. The worst urges I had were, were from smoking. There, it was mm-hmm. worse than alcohol. For some people, that's not the case. Some people have, you know... Heavy cravings for alcohol and, and other drugs, was um, they had to find some way to deal with the common problems in life that we all face. Uh, we all We all face anxieties, we all face challenges, we all have frustrations, fears, what have you. Those of us who want using a substance to alter reality find a way to deal with those. Someone coming off uh, an addiction was medicating in order to to deal with those um, anxieties. Uh, when you stop medicating, now you have to learn how to deal with them. And there's, there's a lot of ways to deal with those. In, in, in Powerless No Longer, um, uh, I present a... Uh, uh cognitive uh, behavioral therapy technique, or a subset of it called rational behavior therapy, uh, rational emotive behavior therapy, uh, that was developed by Dr. Ellis in the 50s in, in New York. Um, that's also um, what the SMART program It's a technique that works. There are other techniques that work, okay? Um, and the, the fourth thing, the last thing, and this is sometimes the most important. Um, the individual has to learn to change their focus from short-term gratification uh, to the achievement of long-term goals. And there's, another, there's another term for that. It's, it's also called growing up. Uh, some of us grow up... Uh, Uh, When we go to college or get married or whatever, others of us uh, um, went along in a child state, medicating our problems, not how to live, uh, for a significant length of time. When you're not using the drug any longer, uh, you have to learn, uh, uh, as most people learn rather early in life, how to focus on longer-term goals. Uh, it's it's an important thing for 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 long term sobriety. Um, you got to have something to get sober for. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Something 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 mm-hmm. has to change. It has to make your life better somehow. Um, and the problem with with a lot of people, uh, um, and I I don't want to go back to picking on a picking on AA because it's really the same for anyone. Uh, It's possible to stay sober uh, for many, many years, uh, going to meetings, white-knuckling it, and so on and so forth. Uh, But what you really end up with is one year of sobriety repeated 20 times or or more. And if that crutch is removed for some reason, you don't know how to live because you never bothered to learn. Uh, change is hard. Uh, uh, those of us who teach change know it 's hard uh, and that 's the reason i, I um, uh, kind of architected my book uh, around the stages of change, the very same uh, stages that you mentioned on your website, which de Clementi, because change is not only hard. Can kind of scary, okay mm-hmm. and I thought by by laying out the process of change, okay here are the stages here's what uh here's how you can recognize what stage you're in here's how you move to the next stage, and so on.' We'll take some of the fear out mm-hmm. uh, you know other people other people have done these things uh it can be done mm-hmm. <laughs> that that kind of thing i um, went a little farther than the question you asked, I know. but
1: <laughs> That's fine. You know, there's one thing I like to remind people who are just starting out on their change, that is, over time, maintaining your change becomes easier. So it might be a huge struggle at first to not smoke those cigarettes or drink those drinks, but, you know, two, three, five years later, um well i don't think about cigarettes anymore, and I was a heavy smoker
0: yeah, well, basically what you've done is is covered in or I talk about it's covered i th- this was a hard decision for me i I made a decision actually. i um, to present addiction and recovery. Uh, in terms of neuroplasticity, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or the ability of the brain to uh, to change and adapt uh, to new situations and new learning. All right. And chapter three in Powerless is is pretty devoted to that. Uh, I talk about how we learn first of all, uh, how we actually create neural networks and so on uh, inside our inside our brain. Uh, and how reward learning works, which is the circuit that's hijacked by by addiction, so far as we know, the limpem. Uh why learning that's done by the reward system is encoded so heavily uh, and and why it's so hard to overcome uh, in the third stage of addiction, as a matter of fact, there 's very little involvement at the conscious level. It just becomes stimulus reaction. What we need to do is obviously put some put some potholes in <laughs> in those well defined neural networks because become like ruts on a country road that the farmer's driven back and forth for thirty years. Uh, with this tract here, very difficult to get out of those ruts very difficult to because those uh, uh, those pathways are so broad and so so well encoded uh, that the reactions are are practically automatic it 's practically muscle memory. so to overcome that, uh, we have to start doing some things differently. Uh, we have to start changing. Uh, the way we, the way we think about things, we have to start changing our belief systems. As we do that, and there's a lot of techniques to do that. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is one. Uh, there, there are others. Uh, as we do that, um, uh, just as as just what you said happens, the same stimulus that drew us into our uh, bad behavior patterns now evokes a totally different response. When, when I hear ice tinkling in a glass, I don't think about single malt scotch anymore. That was the case for many, many years. Uh, now tinkling ice in a glass, I think of ice water, iced tea, or you know whatever. That's the thought it brings up. It doesn't make me want to to drink. Uh, The ringing of a phone doesn't make me want to pick up a cigarette anymore. (laughs) Those pathways just don't. Uh, And that's how we change. But it requires conscious effort. Uh, It requires a plan. And... uh, um, it it's something we can learn on our own but it's it's much much easier to uh uh pick it up from someone who's already had the experience uh and you know that's that's why we do research so. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's really amazing just how deep those ruts in your mind can get worn. Uh, one of the techniques I used when I was quitting cigarettes was charting. I would write down each cigarette, and there was just there were so many times over and over again that I found a cigarette burning in my hand, and you know it would be like half smoked, and I would say, wait a minute, where did that come from? I didn't write that down. <laughs> it- <coughs> But that was a great technique for me to become actually aware of what I was doing, which is really some that, that really helped me eventually to quit.
0: Awareness is absolutely the key. Uh, the last night I sat in my – in fact, I I, uh, uh, I mentioned this, this incident in Chapter 1. The last night that I drank at home um, – I had a, there was an incident with my daughter, uh, which she I made her very upset. Uh, the rest of that night, I was sitting there in my chair listening to my music like I, was, I usually did. Um, before I went upstairs and passed out, uh, and I didn't want to drink anymore. I made what I thought was a conscious effort not to drink, but somehow that damn glass kept getting full just like what you're saying, from uh, 9.30 or 10 o'clock till 2 o'clock in the morning. For some reason, that glass kept getting full, which meant I was getting up, going to the refrigerator, getting ice, pouring scotch over it, and coming back to the chair without any conscious effort, uh, Mm -hmm. without thinking about it. Um, And and that's that's why these ruts are so... uh, that kind of scared me because one of the reasons I stopped. Wait a minute, I, you know, even when I don't want to, I still do it. What's going on here? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I I thought I had some control over what I'm doing. No. So we you learned have... to be addicted. Mm-hmm,
1: Excuse mm-hmm. me, go ahead. Oh, you, you have a chapter that's called Tools Tools of decision, can you tell me a little bit about the tools of decision?
0: Well, as I said, the first and really most important um, thing that anyone who wants to change behavior or quit using has to do is how find the proper motiv- motivation. Um, And the way that's done, there are a lot of techniques to do that, as as you're well aware. Uh, uh, one is uh, uh, cost benefit analysis kind of thing, a CBA. Uh, there's also uh, also in that chapter, uh, I talk. I have a risk assessment. Uh, in other words, you know there there's a lot of risk assessments around. Okay, you you can Google the term and come up with uh, uh, half a dozen versions very quickly of AA's 20 questions and they're all the same. Basically the same. Uh, But I do uh, uh, put a couple I did put a couple in that chapter. Uh, One of the most effective uh, because it's short and I like things that are short. As a matter of fact, just to a brief regression, whenever it comes up at a SMART meeting, uh, one of my SMART meetings, you know, I don't really know if I have a problem or not, blah, blah, blah. Now, a lot of people feel that when they just walk in the door. Uh, The first question I ask is, is the substance or behavior, whatever it happens to be, causing a problem in your life? Simple question. So sometimes quite a uh uh takes them quite a long time to answer uh if they really think about it uh, what's a problem you know because then you then you tell them now oh, wait a minute uh the people who don't have a problem at all. It doesn't cause any problem in their life. They don't think about it when they're not doing it. They don't think about where their next one is coming from. They don't worry about going over to a friend's house who might just have two beers, and then then what are you gonna do? Those kinds of things just don't enter their mind. You know, if if you're dwelling on it, you know, it might be something you look at. But uh, the simple. Uh, first quiz I have in the book is is uh, uh, is known as as Gay Jade and it's just four yes or no questions. Uh, number one is: Have you ever felt you should cut down or stop drinking or using drugs? It's a simple question. Uh, if you feel, if you have sometimes felt that you should cut down or quit, maybe you should seriously. Look at that. Two, have people annoyed you by cri- criticizing you for your drinking or drug use? And the key word in there is annoyed, because if someone just says to you, "Geez, Pete, you—you you, seems like you drank a little bit, you know, too much." If if I knew that that was a one-shot deal for me, but I didn't or I didn't feel like much, that question wouldn't annoy me at all. If it annoys me, that means it's on my mind, too. That person just touched the nerve. So the word annoyed is is key in that question. And the next one, number three, is have you ever felt bad or guilty about your drinking or drug use? People who don't have a problem, don't feel guilty about it. They have a beer, so what? They have two beers, so what? They have a bottle of wine with their wife for dinner, so what? You know, um, that's the end of it. They don't feel guilty about it. Uh, They just don't. And question four, have you ever had a drink or used drugs first thing in the morning to steady your nerves or get rid of a hangover? You know, like an eye-opener. Guess what? Here again, um, People who don't have a problem generally don't get up in the morning and make a screwdriver. <laughs> OK? <laughs> uh, I, I used to do that. So I'm Donny Cash saying the beer I had for breakfast wasn't bad, <laughs> so I had another for dessert. You know? um, but those are very simple questions. Now I've got a more detailed uh, assessment in here. Um, but, you know, really simple is better because the more questions there are, the more people have a chance to, he- to hedge and, and do the yes buts and so on. And another thing that's important, uh, I think, whenever anyone does a self-assessment or a CBA or anything else, the important thing is to put it in writing.
1: Mm-hmm. Our, mm-hmm.
0: Own, our own handwriting uh, is so powerful once it's out there, okay, in front of us, we can no longer ignore it. It's, it's there and we have to deal with it. One night, about six months before I quit drinking, uh, I was typing. You know, I was liking email. There was no email in those days, but the company had a bulletin board, uh, internal communication system, and I was in Connecticut, working for a company in Portland, Oregon, and I was corresponding with a friend out there, uh, and this friend uh, was concerned about my drinking, uh, and and she mentioned it in an email, and I was answering her email, and uh, I typed the words, uh, don't worry about my drinking, Uh, I only drink every night only to oblivion. (laughs) And... I stopped, and I looked at those words on the, on the screen. I said, wow, where did those come from? That's true, but why did I type, type that? Uh, I drank for another six months, but that, that was one of the first things that, wait a minute, I should you know think about that a little bit. Um, and it took me quite a while to, to come to the point where I was, I was ready to quit, but uh, you know, that, that was the first time I'd seen something like that out of my own head. It was really, really powerful. So um, I, I encourage anyone who's uh, doing the thing on, on, your, on your website. I know you have a CBA up there. I saw it. Uh, mm-hmm. And the other things you have, anyone you know who's doing that, it's so important to take a piece of paper, make that cross on it, and write those things down in your own handwriting, because you can't ignore it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it might not do its job right then, but it's it's gonna it's gonna get to you later. <laughs> uh, it almost has to. You now,
1: know, when you write things down, you make them real. You know, I was can realizing that's the reason why you take notes in class of the lecture is not so much that you're going to read them again later, but once you write them down, they stay in your head.
0: Yeah. It's also very useful, and I'm sure you're aware of this, if, if you have someone do a CPA or, or have someone fill out an assessment or something like that uh, and make sure they keep it, they write it down in the handbook, <laughs> or they um, they can go back to that. You know, two three months from now, yeah, that's where I was then, and here's where I am now, <laughs> because uh, feeling success and feeling accomplishment is so damn important. Uh, if you don't know where we were, we don't know where we're going. And mm-hmm. the other thing that I think it's it's important <laughs> to write down now, and and you mentioned this already. Um, it, it gets along a little bit, but uh, I encourage people to keep an urge log uh, for whatever behavior they're, try- they're trying to change because, again, that's their own handwriting out there, and they can see that, hmm, see, this urge started here. It lasted, you know, it was 10 minutes before I realized it was gone. Uh, it peaked at about a 5 or a 6 out of 10, maybe, Um and that's how long it lasted, blah, blah, blah. Because the next time sh- they can look back at that, And one of the things that we try to tell ourselves, and I don't care what behavior we're trying to to quit, one of the things we try to tell ourselves is, wait a minute, eventually I'm going to give in. So why should I do all go through all this pain when I know I'm going to smoke or drink or, or do whatever, Anyway, eventually, because the urge will get so bad, you can look back at that log, say, "Wait a minute! The last five urges I had only lasted so and so, went away." So that's irrational thinking. So I've changed that uh, because because that I've had success there before. So uh, it's you know through the whole. For the whole thing it's just so important to to keep notes and and, and even I, I encourage people most people won't do it until they get a little time under their belts but I encourage people to journal mm-hmm. uh, because it's also a very uh, get out those thoughts that we won't tell anybody else you know uh, get them out there in writing where you can say them uh, yeah it's hard to do you know, it, what you get back is worth it.
1: Now, are you familiar with something that uh, Dr. Alan Marlatt referred to as urge surfing?
0: I've heard the term. Um, what is that well, one
1: exactly? One of the main things that uh, he talked about when he was teaching people to do this, which is basically just... Observe the urge instead of fight the urge. You know, just sit yes, back exactly. and watch it. And uh, one of the things that he noted was, you know, that it passes five to ten minutes, and the urge normally passes. So instead of fighting it, mm-hmm. sit back, observe it, observe it rise, and then observe it fall.
0: <clears throat> right. Well, that's, that's what the urge log. Basically teaches you to do. I I don't use that term, but that that certainly is is exactly what I'm talking about. Um, because they they urges follow a bell curve. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, you notice them on, on on the on the upswing and they peak at some level, uh, and then they go very rapidly down um, till you don't notice them anymore. Um, obviously, that's that's when they disappear and. Mm-hmm. One of the good things about it, keeping an urge log is what you notice uh, is that over time and fairly rapidly too, by the way, with uh those urges get not only farther apart but they also get lower in amplitude. So they're not as severe, and that's why you rate them from one to ten uh, when you start. Uh, they get less severe. Uh, and they're, uh, um, they get farther apart, uh, which, mm-hmm. is, which is kind of neat. It's the opposite of labor pay, <laughs> actually, uh, just the opposite. Uh, and also, they get more or less uh, frequent and, and severe with your general anxiety level. So that's another thing that uh, uh, is helpful to chart. In, in the urge log is what else is going on okay what what other anxieties are are present? Are you worried about this or that, or uh, you got a deadline approaching and, you know, and so on, and how's that affecting your urge and what are you thinking about that that deadline or that anxiety, and you know which of those thoughts might be uh uh irrational you know, anything that focuses one on, what, on what's happening uh, is extremely important for uh, uh, recovery purposes. Being there uh, is just so, so important uh, and, and training yourself to, to watch what's going on in your head because you're not going to change anything until you're aware of it. You have said that a couple of times tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. Awareness. Awareness is key. If, you're not, if you want to remember where, your car, where you left your car keys, uh, pay it when you're putting them down somewhere. You know? Try to be there. And it's the same thing with, with noticing what's going on in your own head.
1: Which brings us, you have a chapter called Reprogramming Your Beliefs, and I think it's a good point to bring that in.
0: Uh, in that chapter on, on reprogramming your beliefs, I <coughs> uh, chose to uh, to use rational emotive behavior primarily uh, as a reprogramming tool. There are other ones that work perfectly well. Uh, mm. None that I am as familiar with, however, as I am our Uh now, obviously, that's the one that, uh, uh, that I went with. Um, and again, realizing there, there are other ways to do this, but this is something that has to happen. We have to reprogram uh, those beliefs somehow. Um, we have to hit on a method of... Becoming a different person, if you, uh, which is kind of a good, good time to bring something else in too. Um, when in my own recovery, um, uh, I wasn't introduced to uh, CBT principles, uh, cognitive behavior principles, uh, until just a few years ago. Um, I had 15 years of recovery before uh, before I knew what these tools formerly were. I kind of invented them. Not I. That's a bad word to use. Uh, these tools together in in my own head uh, by taking pieces from uh, Zen Buddhism uh, and a couple of uh, uh, a couple of other philosophies that resonated with me, that made sense to me, and we're aimed at, at quelling what I like to call quelling the disturbance. Okay. Um, we all have anxieties. We all have fears. We all have things that go on that uh, uh, we need to live with. We need to find a way of living with. Um, and we all have various methods uh, of dealing with those. Uh, If you're not an addict, you want to fly off the handle occasionally and uh, uh, what have you, it's it's not such a big deal. But uh, addicts uh, seem to have uh, a much higher anxiety level than most people do. Uh, now, this is a chicken or an egg type thing. I don't know. What I do know is there's a lot of truth to the uh, to the old AA joke. Uh, uh, when a normal person, quote unquote, has a flat tire, they call the auto service. When an alcoholic has a flat tire, uh, they call the suicide prevention hotline. Um, it's kind of an old a joke, but a a kernel of truth to it. We don't react well to anxiety. We tend to go to the dark side uh, an awful lot. And I found tools that uh, uh, worked for me um, uh, as well as uh, the tools I talk about in Powerless. Uh, But the tools I talk about in Powerless uh, have the advantage uh, of uh, having had uh, uh, studies done about them and and uh, proven that they're uh, that they work for relief of anxiety and uh, uh, changing your belief systems and the tools I put together for myself, uh, although they work perfectly well for me, I just don't have the uh, Uh, evidential support Uh REBT I took the long way around there sorry about that REBT is is basically an ABC system Uh, A is the activating event Uh, it can be an actual event or a thought or idea Uh, B is the belief about the activating event uh, which is really our perception or belief about the A we're not upset by events. We're upset by our perception of them. You and me sit down and watch a football. I'm rooting for the Colts, and you're rooting for the Giants. Okay? There's a touchdown. One of us is going to be happy. The other, one's, the other one, not so much. Okay? <laughs> Same event, different perception. Uh, C is the consequences of the belief, an emotional or behavioral action. Uh, just a simple example, uh, my boss calls me in the office uh, and chews me out about a, a certain assignment. I didn't do right, didn't do up to specs, so on. Uh, I leave the office really down in the dumps, feeling I'm a, I am ai might feel I'm a terrible employee. I'll never be any good. He's about ready to fire me. Uh, and what's what's the use of trying anymore, and so on and so forth. Uh, that would be the uh, extreme donor position. The problem is that those beliefs are irrational. The boss didn't care about me. He uh, uh, wouldn't bother um, to try to get me to do it better. He just uh, didn't think I was capable. He just fired me now. Uh, and all those beliefs, the irrational, Uh, the consequences of those irrational beliefs give me depression, anger, anxiety, uh, a whole bag of uh, uh, bad emotional feelings that uh, could lead to to a relapse. What I have to do, uh, three basic questions that we can examine our beliefs with to, um, to try and determine whether they're rational or not. The first question we can ask the belief is, is it true? Is it based on fact? If there was a camera recording the scene, would it record the scene the same I did? The second question is: Does my belief help me to achieve my short and long-term goals? The third question is: Does my belief help me feel the way I want to feel? I don't want to feel. I don't want to feel depressed. Okay. If I have beliefs based on an event that are making me feel that way, um, they're most likely irrational. I need to examine those beliefs. I need to dispute those beliefs, and I need to replace those beliefs with healthy beliefs. How we reprogram uh, our brain, basically, by looking at the belief system, okay, that's generated by our reaction to events, Uh, and going through a process of disputing those beliefs and replacing them with healthy beliefs. What we do when we do that is we create a new neural pathway. Over time, the more we dispute those beliefs, the stronger that pathway gets. There are... There is controversy that I'm not going to get into. I'm not a neurophysiologist, by I means. But there's a controversy over what happens to those old pathways, okay? Some of them atrophy. Some of them atrophy and die. But the real strong ones remain there, and we can be drawn back into them if we don't maintain a healthy attitude and outlook, all right? mm-hmm. um, and the way we do that is, is, you know, the good news is if we start practicing these kinds of things, they become part of who, you, who we are. That's how our process works now. It's just the same as learning a new golf swing, okay? Okay. Um, I'm not a golfer, but this is how I understand what it is. If if you've got a swing and the pro looks at it, and you've been doing this swing for 10 years, some pro looks at it and says, "Now, if you did this or that, or it's shifted your weight a little earlier or later, changed your grip a little bit, it's going to be hard the first, you know, 10, 15 times you try golfing the new way. Actually, it's going to become part of your muscle memory just like the old swing was. And it's the same with changing your beliefs. Eventually it becomes new muscle memory. Eventually yeah. it becomes part of who you are. Um, when I talk about this to people, and you know, I'm a totally different person than I was 23 years ago. You know, uh, I don't yeah. even vote the same way. I mean, I'm totally different. I, I do something different for a living. Um, I'm Things that used to scare me don't scare me anymore. Uh, things that used to evoke these kinds of reactions don't evoke those reactions anymore. Uh, am, am I absolutely perfect all the time and, and in perfect harmony with, you know, with the world? Hell no, because I'm a human being, all right. But most of the time, uh, things go pretty well, uh, and that's certainly not the way it was for the 26 years I drank. So we become different people over time, um, as you know. Um, we change basically every part of ourselves, and um, what's what's in the chapter on reprogramming beliefs is is basically a shortcut to do. There are no shortcuts. There are no easy ways, but it kind of cuts through the um, through the sometimes New Agey type baloney that
1: that. That
0: we see and what we do
1: so mm-hmm. um uh, okay let's uh, talk a little bit about relapse we've got about five minutes left so tell me a little bit okay. about relapse
0: well first of all um Programs. Uh, some some people who who do what we do uh, treat relapse as a failure, okay, uh, as a shortcoming, as you know, go away and start over, start over with step one or whatever. Uh, we don't look at it that way in uh, uh, powerless no longer. Uh, I look at relapse as a learning experience, okay? It's, uh, as long as we can learn from relapse, uh, it's not necessarily a, a, a game-ender, okay? First of all, try to impress on people that using is always – using after a period of abstinence – is always a choice, always, 100% of the time. We have a chance to make a conscious choice. We don't walk down the street and get struck drunk. We don't, you know, turn into a bar and whatever. Uh, uh, we always uh, uh, end up making a choice. There are certain signs that have been well documented. Um, Two researchers, uh, Terence Gorski and Marlene Miller, uh, identified uh, uh, a bunch of uh, relapse warning signs that have been very helpful to, uh, uh, to the people in my SMART group. Uh, changes in, in attitude, elevated stress, uh, uh, a feeling of uh, uh, denial that you feel elevated stress, uh, recurrence sometimes of withdrawal sy- uh, symptoms. We might notice behavior changes, uh, so on and so forth. There are uh, many of those signs. But relapse isn't, isn't necessarily the end of the world. We can look at that, do an ABC on it, uh, like I mentioned in the last chapter. All right, what was the activating event? that? What do you think got you in the kind of situation uh, uh, where you – what were your beliefs about that activating event? Uh, What were the emotional consequences? What were your feelings about that? How did they contribute to the relapse? What were you coping with? And what beliefs were irrational? Uh, We treat a relapse uh, uh, basically uh, as any other upset. What caused it? What can we
1: uh,
0: uh, do to uh, avoid it uh, next time? Uh, And there are some common, common threads that run through relapses. People's belief... Beliefs run from, I thought I could get away with it. Nobody will know. I can only have one. won't be like it was before. Um, and another whole level on the emotional level. Uh, people feel, well, I deserved it. You know, it was Miller time. Had to have it. I couldn't stand the urge or, or whatever. Uh, but the bottom line, the bottom line really uh, that underlies all of those emotions uh, is a feeling of what difference would it make? I'm not worth it anyway. And that's really the bottom line uh, that that uh, people will arrive at. You know, I'm just not worth it. What difference does it make? Um, I, I, I just, you know, can't go it anymore, so uh, I'm just not worth it as a person, and uh, uh, so I might as well drink, use, whatever. But those are the kinds of, of irrational uh, beliefs that, that that we go after, mm-hmm. and uh, relapse is common enough. Okay, it's not a requirement certainly, but it, it's common enough. Uh, that uh, uh, we need to to look at it, and, and not as a failure, necessarily. Mm-hmm. The only time it's a failure uh, or any kind of a failure is if we use a relapse uh, to keep on drinking, <laughs> to go on a binge. Uh, hopefully, we catch ourselves after, after a night or whatever. Uh, but anyway, that's... Uh, uh, Relapse is common enough that uh, uh, not only did I include it in in stages of change, uh, but I I devoted a good deal of time to it in the book because it it is important. It's real easy to just use it as a cop-out. And, you know, why bother? I'll never be successful at this when actually – uh, it's just a setback, a minor setback sometimes, because you already have the principles in your head mm-hmm. if you've been abstinent for a while. Uh, you don't have to go back to ground zero and start over again. Mm-hmm. Just keep on doing what you're doing, because this is a game of progress. Uh, and sometimes it's just inches at a time.
1: hmm mm-hmm. Well, it looks like we are out of time, so I would like to thank you very much for being our guest this evening, Pete Soterman.
0: It's been a pleasure. I've I, uh, I drank a lot of water while we're talking, so I probably <laughs> did too much talking. But
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. That's what we want. It's the guest to be talking, not me. Um, but everybody, we will all be back uh, next week with another. We will all see you then. So thank you, everyone, and good night.